Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Good morning. Welcome to Rosewood. Uh, my name is Austin Vondercheck. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have all of you here with us. Uh, pastor Howard's announcement about anesthesia or anesthesia reminded me of a uh, number of years ago. I <clears throat> invited to a friend of a friend's uh, boat party, which, whew, and uh, past life. And uh, this friend introduced me to the owner of the boat and, and said, <clears throat> hey, uh, you guys actually do the same thing. So I'm like, this guy's a pastor, nice boat, you know? And so I said, hey, I'm Austin, you know? And, and he's like, you're an anesthesiologist too? And I said, no. And then my friend's in the back corner going, you both put people to sleep, see? You know? <laughs> I think I was invited just for that joke, was all. But I'll give it to him. All right, that has nothing to do with the, the message today. But uh, in a similar way, in a similar way, I remember a, um, actually a, um, a satire article that I found when I was in seminary that came out while I was in seminary that we all kind of thought was, was pretty fun and relatable. Uh, it was about a church who docked the pay of their pastor uh, because he bought a 15-year-old Camry. And they said that was a little too extravagant. Maybe we're paying him too much. And... Uh, I'm not going to die, am I? All right. Hearing things behind me I haven't heard. So, uh, yeah, so, so it was a satirical article. Again, not real. Uh, it said that, you know, they were going to dock the pastor's pay for buying a 15-year-old Camry too extravagant. And uh, the thing about satire articles is that they're, they're funny because there's like that, that kernel of truth. And I remember uh, then a few years later meeting a retired pastor who I had the opportunity to work with on a, on a different project. And the first time I went to his house, uh, GPS took me to the lakeshore. And I'm like, whoa, this can't be right. But sure enough, here he was living on Lake Michigan. So I'm thinking, my goodness, how did this guy retire this way? And how do I do it too? Well, after I got to know him well enough, I just kind of, I just asked him because it just felt very like not what I was expecting. And, and uh, it turns out there was quite a story there. Uh, when he retired, he immediately, he and his wife uh, bought this home, moved out of the parsonage, bought this home. And, and the church that he retired from raked him over the coals, uh, talking about how, you know, some said he must have embezzled. And all of this, they even considered dropping the, the salary for the incoming pastor, thinking, my goodness, we're paying our, our pastor too much if they can live like this. And it turns out what it was, the, the real story of this was that he was, he, he wasn't paid an extravagant amount, but he and his wife lived very simply and they enjoyed investing and they had a lot of fun in it. And over 30 or 40 years of investing and smart investing, they found themselves with, you know, starting with a small nest egg and finding a rather large nest egg. And uh, he said, you know, I didn't dare buy this house before I retired because I did not want to have to deal with the blowback. And it was clear that it happened as his church responded in the way that it did even after his retirement. 
Um, but he didn't want to have to defend something that he didn't owe an explanation for. And I think a lot of us can, can relate to him in our, in our own ways, feeling judged by someone without knowing our motives or intentions or circumstances. Uh, and, and that'll make any person defensive. Jesus certainly knew what it was like to be judged. He was often accused, criticized, and even attacked uh, for what he did. And, and in almost every single case, he remained silent. And let's be honest, that's usually the best way to react in those circumstances. But on a few occasions, Jesus speaks up for himself and provides a defense for the ways that he acted and the people that he surrounded himself with. And in those very few instances, one of which we'll look at today, we get a look into the heart and mind of God the Father by seeing the priorities of Jesus. We get to understand through these experiences and through these defenses that Jesus provides of not just what he did, but why he did them. And so today we're going to be looking at Luke 15 as we continue working through the gospel of Luke. And uh, this is a story that we'll get to that's very familiar. In fact, even if you, this is the first time you've ever been in a church or, or open scripture, you're going to know uh, this story. It's worked into the culture and vernacular of even non-Christians. But before we get to that known story, we're going to start with the setup, because the setup is usually what we skip when we look at this story. Luke 15 verse 1 starts with, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told this parable. Now notice that there are two very distinct groups of people who are there, and for two very different reasons. First off, you've got the tax collectors and you've got the sinners. Now, if you've been a part of this church during this series, you've been keeping up with it, uh, these labels are not new to you. We've talked to them quite a bit. We'll continue to talk about them as it's a common theme through the Gospel of Luke. In a couple weeks, we'll, we'll spend time really looking at the tax collectors as we look at Zacchaeus. Uh, but, uh, but for one, he's the, the, the context is that Jesus is surrounded by uh, these tax collectors. These um, uh, tax collectors were kind of like resident outsiders. They collected the taxes for the occupying force of the Roman Empire. Now, doing this gets you very rich financially, but would get you very poor socially. No one wanted to be your friend. You were basically siding with the enemy. Now, meanwhile, he's also surrounded by sinners. Now, sinners is kind of this blanket or this umbrella term that describes people who could have been, it could have been that they weren't Jewish. It could have been that they, uh, they uh, didn't have occupations that were pleasing to the religious elites. It could even been that they just had a disease. Uh, back then, if you got a disease, say you got like leprosy, uh, many people thought, because they didn't understand the, the source of it, they thought, oh, well, this was given to you by God as a curse. And because God is cursing you, it must have meant that you sinned in some way. So here's Jesus surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. But then kind of on the outer edge of this group, you've got the Pharisees. Pharisees acted like the moral purists, but Jesus was often critical of them, kind of turning them inside out and exposing that their motives were anything but pure. And these two groups of people are there for very different reasons. Um, the Pharisees were there uh, to complain the loudest. Don't you love those people? 
It's the, the, the Pharisees were constantly picking, picking, picking at Jesus for certain things. Always critical, with never, uh, never with a solution, though. Don't name any names, but we all have them. Every community of people has them. In fact, if you think you're in a community of people that doesn't have any complainers, you're the complainer. Ah, sorry, word of the Lord. Uh, but they were there to wag their finger at Jesus. Jesus, you aren't being rabbinic. You aren't being like you're supposed to be. You're not being as the, you claim you're the Messiah, but you're not, very, you're not acting very messianic. You are surrounding yourselves with people who are far from God. You should be judging them like we do, not spending time with them, not welcoming them. And then, of course, you've got the sinners themselves. Uh, no one talked to these people, these outsiders, the way that Jesus spoke to them, certainly not the Pharisees. Still today, still today, there are people who believe that, that God can't love or accept them because Christian communities don't. I, I'm a, I consider myself to be a pretty rational thinker in the way that I came about uh, coming to faith as an adult uh, came from a very rational place. I wanted to understand what or who is, is God? There's so many different versions and stories out there that people have told who's to say that the one I grew up with was even right. And so I'm trying to understand all these things. And, and it, it, one kind of common theme I, I saw was that there were so many people who made judgments about God based upon this God's followers or upon this God's community. They would make judgments about God based upon churches or, or, or synagogues, um, all of these different places, no matter what religion, oftentimes looked at the legitimacy of God through the lens of the followers. And that just didn't make any sense to me because Christians aren't God and churches aren't God. So why would you evaluate God based upon God's followers? Now, it, admittedly, it was kind of a blind spot on my part because I started to get to know uh, I, I started to get to know and, and understand the stories of, of people um, who were harmed by the church, people who wanted nothing to do with God. And I began to understand that, that people understand the invisible God based upon uh, what they see through the visible church. People understand the invisible God through the visible church. My upbringing kind of blinded me to the experience of others, having had a pretty positive experience in the church growing up. But if your experience with Christians is that they're judgmental, you may start to believe that God is also judgmental or that you have to be judgmental in order to belong in a Christian community. Look, none of us are perfect, but don't miss this. People understand the visible God through you, the visible church, through you and I. And if all a person saw was how you love, how would they, what would they believe about your God? If all a person saw was how you loved, how you cared, how you treated other people, if that's all a person saw, what would they believe about your God? If seeing is believing, what would they believe about what they're seeing in you. So to address both groups, Jesus tells three stories. One about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. And those three stories are all, he doesn't tell them, they're very similar. They have a lot of similarities. 
but they're all kind of pointing at slightly different things. Now, we're going to look at just the story of the lost sheep, break it down, try to understand it, because I think if you can understand the lost sheep parable, you can use what you know there to apply it to the other two. And so your homework is to read the lost coin and the lost, uh, the lost son. Today, we're going to focus just on the sheep. Here's what Jesus says next. He, sa- he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If you were a shepherd and you lost 1% of your sheep, would you really care that much? I mean, that's a manageable loss. If you lost 1% of almost anything that you own, you probably wouldn't care that much. This seems like the perfect scenario for cut your losses and count your blessings, right? This feels like what these phrases were designed for. But not for this shepherd, The shepherd looks at his sheep in a very interesting way, a very different way than than many of us. Uh, You and probably everyone else who heard this for the first time, which I know many of us aren't hearing it for the first time, but imagine, you'll put yourself in this position where you're hearing it for the very first time. It leads you to ask, why risk the 99 for the one? Why leave the 99 for the one? But I think that's actually Jesus' point to pull us into this and to ask those questions that seemingly seem preposterous and counterintuitive in this scenario. But again, remember how all this started. Jesus isn't just sharing this parable out of the blue. Jesus is sharing it to justify himself as a defense of what he's doing, as a defense of spending time around people who are sinners, people who were employed as tax collectors, people who were on the fringes of society, especially within religious society. That's why Jesus is saying this. And what he's doing is he's opening us up to God's obsession with lost things. God is obsessed with lost things. He's obsessed with with lost things, with missing things, with, with people who are far from him. Now, every time that I start getting into a topic like this, especially one of these parables, um, I always just kind of expect the emails. Uh, The emails that come in on Sunday night. That's like prime time for both critical thinkers who have questions and critical people with comments to come back. And so, so there's often pushback from, uh, from folks, from the self-identified 99, looking at this and, and kind of feeling overlooked by some of the themes that we find in this parable. Now, if that's you, or if that's a, a part of you, we'll address that. We'll get there. Because chances are some of the pushback that you have is probably legitimate because we don't want to take things to too far an extreme, left or right. But before we get there, um, let's get a little more personal. 
It's not hard to find examples right in front of us or, or within us, whether it be Rosewood Church or any church, where we can get these things backwards and we can start to find ourselves uh, leaving the one for the 99, where if we could correct something like this within our churches, we might find ourselves with a very different culture. And now here's the first one. We allow the complaints from inside to control the church more than the cries from outside. Pharisees complained the loudest because Jesus wasn't giving them the kind of attention that they had come to expect. Jesus was moving towards people whom they were moving away from. Now, I know that the numbers don't make sense to us with this. Numbers didn't make sense when Jesus said this. Jesus, the, the people who heard this parable for the first time, there wasn't something about them that said, oh, that makes a lot of sense, leaving the 99 for the one. We hear it it with, I think, a similar ear to the way they would have heard it back then. But here's the thing. God is more concerned about the seat that's open next to you than the seat that you fill. Now, I'm not saying that's not a statement of God's love. God loves you more than he, he he cannot expand on the love that he has for you or for the person that represents the seat empty next to you. But his concern is greater for the seat next to you that's open than for the seat that you occupy. Though the pull of leadership in almost every church is to first cater to the wishes, whims, and happiness of those who are already there. And if you take that extreme and you lay that leadership model down next to Scripture, especially if you open Scripture up to Luke 15, and you lay it down next to that, you find that there's something out of tune, out of balance. Something's backwards. But here's the thing about the the one who isn't here. The one who isn't in any church right now. The one who isn't a part of any worshiping community, any sort of Christian community. Here's the thing about that one. They don't have a voice. They don't have a seat at the table. Duh, right? They're not here, so they don't have a voice. So how will that voice be represented? I remember uh, actually a year from right now, a year ago from right now, Leah and I and the kids, we were, uh, we were staying at a sheep farm. Some of you, you go to you know, sandy beaches for vacation to get away. We go to sheep farms, and we love it. We love it. And uh, we were at, this, uh, we were at this, this place, and we had never really... Uh, encountered sheep all that much in our life. We always thought, you know, sheep, nice and calm and quiet and soft and cute and all that, right? Um, <laughs> this isn't related. We went during uh, the time when they're having babies. And so you think sheep are cute until they're having live birth, and then it's pretty disgusting. Um, not related. If you're taking notes, don't write that. Anyway, here's the point. Uh, while we were there, we were taken aback by something we didn't realize by sheep. How loud they are. They are really loud. Especially when you get a whole bunch of them together, they're really loud. Especially if they get scared. They are really loud. And so if we are going to, for, for Jesus, he said that he, was, he would leave the 99 for the one. The thing is, if you want to be able to get far enough away from the 99 to hear the cries of the one, to pinpoint the location of the one, you've got to go pretty far away from the 99 in order to find that one. The cries of the, 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 cries of the 99 are very loud. Not that those cries don't have legitimacy, not that those cries don't have significant need within them, but if you want to be able to hear the cry of the one, if you want to be unable to understand the voice of the one that's not represented here, 
You may have to move a little bit outside of our comfort zone. You may have to move away from the 99 in such a way to find that one. Which is, of course, not to say that the 99 don't matter, right? Remember that Jesus didn't leave the 99 and never return. Had he done that, there would have been a a flock of one and 99 lost sheep. So this, this shouldn't be seen as so black and white as sometimes people make it, but this still doesn't detract from the point that you can't always respond to the lost one if your primary concern is making the 99 happy at our churches. Now here's the second point. We're just going to look at two today. Second thing that that I commonly see is that we frame membership around privilege rather than sacrifice. Now we have a new members gathering coming up in two weeks. So what I say next is going to make some of you either run and go sign up or run and go cross your names off. We'll see. But at Rosewood here, at, at Rosewood Church, And if you've been through the membership process and you remember it, you'll you'll know this. But membership isn't about privilege. It's about sacrifice. Every new member makes a series of promises. And there's more, you know, there's more explanation to these. But here's just basically what they are. Every new member makes a promise to attend, to serve, to pray, and to give. Those are the four. So every person who is a member here has made those promises as a part of their entry into membership. Now, some people have gone through the new members gathering only to discover they don't actually want to join. And the reasons for that are varied, though some are because they expect a little bit more, a few more perks. They expect something to be more in their favor and they feel like things are skewed towards towards others. Now, I don't mourn a response like that. In fact, in a way, in a way, I celebrate it. Because being a part of a church isn't about being served, but serving. So if we have to get that wrong at Rosewood, if we have to turn that around and get things backwards in order to have a higher membership count to compare to church XYZ, then let's just be small. But instead, let's be focused on serving others rather than others serving ourselves. And if you think that the church should exist to serve you, And consider that even Jesus himself, the head of the church, said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so if the head of the church says that he has come to serve and not to be served, then perhaps the body, even more so, is here to serve. Just a reminder to sign up sheets in the lobby. All right, back to the critique that I I, uh, probably hear most often. It's something to the tune of what about me from the self-identified 99. And like I said before, this is fair. There is fair critique. If I were to just kind of stop the sermon now, I think that there would be a perspective that's left out and leaving this whole thing uh, out of balance. Because Jesus loves you when you're the one and he loves you when you're the 99. Jesus spent time with people after they made a faith commitment. He wasn't the sleazy salesman who was just trying to get the numbers, get people to to say yes to him, to, to believe the things that he said, and then just move on. He wasn't trying to get the sale and then move on to somebody else. He spent time with people. He invested with people. He spent the most time actually with the disciples engaged in discipleship. And so our churches, so Rosewood Church must be engaged in discipleship and building up the 99 and not neglecting the 99. 
Neglecting the 99 is actually equally off base as neglecting the one. It's just to the other extreme. It's as far off from center as neglecting the one. But I think that there's a misconception about how we are to position ourselves and the options available to us to position ourselves in this parable. We are like sheep who are under the care and the protection of the shepherd. We are at all times either the 99 or the one. And we don't always stay in those categories. Some days we're the 99 and some days we find ourselves the one. But the church is called not just to be a shepherd, but to be this shepherding assistant who who journeys with the shepherd in order to seek and find the one. Luke 19, in Luke 19.10, Jesus says that his call is to seek and save the lost, which is exactly what we are called to do as the church, to journey with the good shepherd in seeking and saving the lost. And as the church, we are empowered by Christ to continue the work that he began of revealing his love and reaching our communities. You are both a sheep and called to be an under-shepherd, called out into the open country to search for the sheep. Now it is Jesus, it is the good shepherd who will find the sheep, who will put the sheep on his shoulders. He will be the one who carries that sheep home. But part of the seeking is what we are called to do as the church. Jesus' last words for you before he ascended to heaven was to go make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say stay here and make disciples of all nations. We can't make disciples of all nations. We can't even make disciples of our neighborhoods if all we do is stay. We are to go and make disciples, seek and save the lost, no matter where they've wandered off to. You see, when you love someone, you learn to love the things that they love. I would have never imagined that I would learn how to thread a bobbin, but I can. You know why? my wife sews. And I love her. And spending time with her has resulted in me knowing how to thread a bobbin and more. But so is the case with God. When you love Jesus, you learn to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus is obsessed with lost things. And when you spend time with Christ through community and his word and prayer, you will find his obsessions beginning to rub off on you. And when your obsession aligns with God's obsession... Suddenly, being counted among the 99 is not a privilege of power, but a privilege of service. Though when you understand your role in the church to be in a position of of service, of privilege of service, you will still, like Jesus, find yourself having to defend yourself. Having to defend yourself against a status quo who sees privilege as an act of power and not service. But Jesus presses on, and so do we, because God's overpowering love makes him and it makes us obsessed with lost things. So no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you found yourself wandered off to, Jesus is for you. He is a friend of sinners. He is a friend of all. And by faith, through his grace, he calls you a friend as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this good news. God, that no matter how far, no matter how far we run, 
no matter how far we try to scramble away from you. God, you never stop seeking. And Jesus, as those of us here who know that they have been sought after, for those of us here who know that we have been called, carried back to the flock, and now live as God's people through his grace, Jesus, I pray that we would be able to project that grace, live that grace with others as we carry on the work of Jesus empowered by his spirit to seek and save the lost no matter where those lost might be. God, thank you for all of my friends here at Rosewood, for all of the folks here who who don't count their position among the 99 as a privilege of power, but see it as a privilege of service. God, thank you for all of the volunteers, for the leaders, for the people who just, who, who see all of their life, every moment of their life as an offering to God. God, thank you for that faith. I pray that that kind of faith would inspire all of us to carry on with God's work through the church that he loves. And Jesus, for those of us <clears throat> who struggle with this, who struggle with our own, our own pride, our own selfishness. Jesus, I pray that you gently, through your spirit, begin to mend us, begin to see the one, begin to seek the one, so that we can be a part of God's redemptive plan and purpose for this world. God, you wouldn't want to see any of your sheep be abandoned. Help us to have that same heart. Help us to celebrate what you celebrate, and to mourn the things that you mourn. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.